On this episode of Clinically Psyched, we will be covering finding a supervisor, as well as finding the right fit, and what that fit word even means, with a very special guest, Alyssa. Hey everyone, welcome back to Clinically Psyched. I'm Cass, I'm your host. Um, This podcast aims to help people figure out how to get into clinical psych, what the process is like, especially when no one really explains it to you. So to start off, I just wanted to send a special shout out to a listener named Felix. Felix, I hope you're listening to this. Um, Felix left a really, really kind rating and review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Reading it, I you know, I teared up and I read it to my mom too because I was very, very proud to have created something that people enjoy. Um, So Felix, thank you so much for your kind words. They really and truly made my week. It cheered me up so much after, unfortunately, getting rejected from my dream school. So thank you so much. And um, if anyone else wants to leave a rating or leave some feedback, I love to read it and it helps boost the show so that other people can find it. As well, I wanted to share a little bit more joy this week. I had a really great interview with a researcher to perhaps get a research position and a paid one at that. And I also had a really great talk with the founders of Find Me a Therapist, an initiative that looks to help Black people find Black therapists that specialize in whatever their need is. Uh, This initiative is unreal. It's amazing. And I'm so, 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 so happy to be able to volunteer with them. I would recommend looking them up. If you need a Black therapist, you're having trouble finding one, or maybe you have an hour of time a week that you can spend helping people find the care that they need, it's super easy to volunteer. It's not time consuming. There isn't a ton of pressure. It's just finding therapists and doing that research for somebody and providing them with, you know, a couple names and a couple descriptions to help them make the choice. And when people are going through really tough things, if they're in crisis, things like looking up a therapist and and doing all that research, it can be, you know, a really, a really stressful task. And so even just taking that that small bit of time to help them makes a huge difference. It's a direct impact. So look up Help Me Find a Therapist. Uh, I will link their sign-up form to volunteer in the description of this episode. And get involved if you can, because they are unreal. They're amazing. And you can actually have a direct impact on somebody's life. So give that a go. Check them out. Finding the right supervisor is incredibly important when you're going to graduate school. You are going to spend four to six years with this person, too, if you're doing a master's, and you want to make sure that you are in the right environment for you with the right supervisor style for you so that you make the best of it. The worst thing would be to feel like you are stuck in a lab or with a supervisor who doesn't understand you and is unable to meet your needs and makes you miserable for six years. Nobody wants that, so it's important to really do your research and get to know yourself and what your needs are before 
jumping into contacting them. Getting to know yourself means reflecting on situations in your life where you have felt comfortable and at ease in a workplace or research position. So think about the factors that made the place either great for you or not so great for you. And I would highly suggest taking out a piece of paper or opening your graduate school notebook and making that list. What were the things about the people you worked with that you really liked? And what were the things that made you stressed or uncomfortable? Was it perhaps the person's demeanor? Um, Are you better with more gentle feedback rather than kind of critical feedback? Do you like critical feedback? Do you like being able to know exactly what you did right and exactly what you did wrong? Kind of cut through the bullshit. Figure out what's right for you. It is very different for each individual person. And when you're making this big choice, you want to make sure you're going to thrive. It might also be helpful to look up what hands-on supervision is versus hands-off supervision, which is kind of what it sounds like. How much control or freedom will you have and independence versus how involved your PI will be on decision making. Some like more, some like less. Backing up a little bit, when you do a PhD, you will have what's called a PI or principal investigator. And this will be your direct supervisor who you will work very closely with, directly with, for the entire time that you are at graduate school pursuing your degree. You will become a member of their lab. And you will be having, you know, weekly, if not sometimes daily, communication with this person who will be guiding you through your research, helping you out, and also giving you that critical feedback that we just talked about. Remember that as much as your potential supervisor will be interviewing you in order to feel out if you meet their needs, you are doing the same interview to them. So when you finally get to that interview stage, don't be afraid to ask questions and figure things out. Make the right choice and don't be afraid to say yes to some and no to others. Also remember, fit doesn't necessarily stop at with your supervisor. You have to be a fit to the program. So your goals and your career goals and what you want out of the training and what you want out of the experience has to match up with what that program can provide to you. If a program says it is, you know, very, very, very heavily research focused and not that clinically focused and you are someone who just wants to practice, take that into account because not only will it be harder for you to get into a program that wants you to be a very staunch researcher, but you're not going to have a great time and you're not going to get what you want out of it. I know clinical psychology is incredibly difficult to get into, and so oftentimes we kind of try to make things fit so that we have the most number of options possible, but at the end of the day, you are going to be spending your time here. You are going to be spending a lot of time here. Make sure it's right. You should also take into account things like fit with your financial situation. Are you able to live on the stipend? That's the amount of money they give you to live on in graduate school to pay you for all of your hard work. It's often not a lot of money. And if you are moving to a different city, perhaps you're moving to a very expensive city, it might not be enough for you to feasibly live on. And that's an important thing to take into consideration. Also look at what placement options are available. So so where you can go and 
work in clinics during your PhD. Are there researchers there and are there practitioners there who are able to take you in, who understand what you want to research, what you want to study, the modalities you want to practice in, and are there opportunities for you to be involved in those things? There are also things like department politics and the types of people who are already in that lab. And unfortunately, these are things that are very difficult to figure out if you're the correct fit for, especially when you're just doing that initial research of where to apply. So to find that fit, you will likely, at the interview stage, be given the contact information for graduate students in the lab to get a feel for it, and you'll be able to ask some questions there. You have to be kind of stealthy in the questions you ask. Um, you want to be, you know, polite, and you don't want to seem like you are interrogating them or asking very personal information, even though it might be information that you very much want to hear. Anything you say to those graduate students will be relayed back to the supervisor. So although it seems like a little bit more freedom, and it is a, you know, a tiny bit more freedom, you are still being interviewed, and you still want to make sure that you are keeping it professional. There was a really great chart going around on Twitter that had the ways to ask questions in a polite way. So what you want to know and how do you ask that? The chart was posted by Dr. Amanda K. Montoya, and you can find her on Twitter and find the original chart at Amanda K., the letter K, Montoya on Twitter. So save that chart if you can as a reference, but I will summarize a little bit of it now for you. So let's say you want to find out if you can afford to live in a place based on the current salary that's provided. That's probably something that you want to ask the graduate students. And you can ask it in ways such as asking, how many roommates does that graduate student have? Or do you need a car to get around? I myself have just outright asked, you know, in a, in a jokey tone, so how hard it is, is it to live in, you know, X city on a student budget? Um, that's kind of nicer ways of asking rather than, can I afford it? Because believe me, I've had that emotion. Um, and although that's something I would love to directly ask, gotta be stealthy. Remember, uh, interviews are a, a game and a talent, and we have to figure out how things should be framed to get the responses we want. So let's say you want to figure out how collaborative the climate is. So how many opportunities for collaboration? Do you work with other students in the lab? That's something you can ask grad students, professors, um, both at the same time. You can ask things like, oh, have you worked with multiple professors? Can I work with multiple professors? You can ask your professor, you know, which students do you work with who aren't your students? Uh, is there a possibility to collaborate there? Or you can ask the students directly, what professors do you work with who aren't your PI? How would you describe them? How would you describe that relationship you have with them? Let's say you want to figure out if your PI is a good person. Um, definitely that is something you can suss out uh, by asking your PI things like, oh, how do you define a successful mentee? What are you looking for in a mentee? How do you define success? Uh, on a project? How do you give feedback? And, you know, kind of listen to the way they answer these questions and see if they are able to describe something that you think you would fit into, that you kind of like their vibe, or if they seem, you know, really 
out of whack and not quite the kind of person you'd want to work with. You can ask grad students generally, what's it like to work with X? Uh, what's the most challenging part of working with X? What's the best thing about working with them? You can even ask things like, what's their mentorship style like? Um, have you found that you have been able to ask for things like time off when you need it? So all important. Let's say you want to ask for alternative support. So what are your support systems within this grad program? You will want as many as possible because it's, you know, graduate school and it's hard. Um, these are the things you'd want to ask the grad students. You would probably want to ask, you know, who do you feel comfortable going to besides your mentor? You can ask things like, what's the department culture like? Um, things like that that kind of suss out the environment, how competitive it is, things like that. If you want to figure out kind of what your work-life balance is going to be like, you can ask your grad students, you know, how does your PI encourage self-care? What does taking time off look like? You can ask your PI, oh, do people tend to work on weekends in your labs? Um, is there the ability to come in on weekends to work in the lab? That's another way of kind of being stealthy about it. Um, and you can even ask, you know, what are your expectations about students time dedicated to be in the lab and things like that. Uh, to look at job prospects and careers, kind of looking way down the line, you can ask your PI, you know, would you support a student going into uh, teaching positions? So staying in academia, would you support a student who wanted to go and do more clinical work? I would be very careful, especially in clinical psychology, about asking these questions, I would just say, you know, would you support a student in whatever career path that they chose? Um, you can ask, you know, what are the TA and teaching opportunities available? Uh, do you make sure that your students have access to these things? Uh, you can ask grad students, oh, what jobs do you want when you graduate? And uh, does your PI support you in that? And how have they helped you get there and helped you prepare? all very important. You want to know that your PI will have your back. You want to know if your PI will have your back. If you change career ideas multiple times, you just want to know that you have somebody in your court because a really good supervisor will have your best interest at heart. One of the first things you assess when you're thinking about fit is looking at research fit. So you want to find supervisors who study what you want to study or are in the field that you really want to get into. And in order to make sure that you're a great fit for this role, you probably want to take on volunteer positions in labs that have a focus as close as possible to what you want to study or what the professor that you want to work with later on studies. Of course, this should be something that you are extremely passionate about, extremely interested in, and it should be, you know, not a chore to be working there. It should be something that you are excited about and want to do. So once you yourself have had that kind of experience in the field, you will want to start looking for other researchers. Of course, you might have your honors thesis PI, um, 
I think it's it's generally quite rare for people to continue on in their honors thesis lab to their PhD, but it totally does happen. And people who you work with in undergrad may be the people you work with later on. In fact, today's guest had that happen, so absolutely possible. But you want to make sure that you are casting a little bit wider of a net. So how do you do this? How do you find these researchers in this area? My first thought is that you should be doing a lot of reading in that area. So you want to be looking at what's the new research that's coming out and who is doing it. Who are these researchers citing? What are the papers that have sparked your interest the most and who's involved on them? So once you have kind of a list of those names, you can look them up. Where do they work? What is their lab? Are they somebody who teaches? Are they somebody who even takes students normally? Do they have graduate students on their lab websites? Just keep those names in mind because although there is no guarantee that they will be accepting graduate students, if you see them come up in later searches, you'll go, ah, okay, I know exactly who that is and I know what they do. So what about finding who is accepting students that year? Well, the way I did it is I looked at each program at each university I wanted to go to. So how I did this in Canada, because Canada doesn't have that many clinical psychology programs, I know in the US it's slightly different because there are like so many, um, is I literally just opened every single clinical psychology grad program I could find in Canada and I went to their faculty pages. Normally, universities will have some kind of indication on their faculty websites. You might be through looking at the application info. It'll be somewhere on the website, and it will indicate whether that person will be taking students the next year. That information is, of course, vital to your application. So try to find that the best way you can. Before you email a professor asking, make sure it isn't plainly available on their website as this makes you look not so great. It makes you look like you can't do that research. And if you can't do the basic research to find out if that person is accepting, if the information is available on the website, then it doesn't really show off your you know, general research skills very well. So find out if they're accepting. So I look at each one of the researchers and I go to their profiles and I find what areas they work in. So typically they might have a bio and above or the, below the bio they'll have interests and it'll be, you know, a brief paragraph or even just a couple words. If something there matches with you, keep that profile open and go do a quick Google Scholar search and look at some of their rec recent literature that they've put out, if they've written books, and see if it truly does match with your research interests. If it does, awesome. Write down their name, and if there's more than one person in that department, write down all their names, but make sure you write them down for yourself in priority. Sometimes when you send in an application, it only really lands on the desk of the first person that you applied to. This isn't always the case. Sometimes, you know, your second and third option that you've listed will see it, will reach out, but they will usually ask for a preference order, so make sure that you have that information. You can even keep a document that has you know, school, researchers I want to work with, program, application date, 
it really helps to have kind of a an Excel sheet for this. I know I made one. I was extra. I color coded it. Um, had all the information for every school, even the things that were necessary for the application. So if they required two references versus one reference, things like that. But have those names and have a little description of their research interests just to help you later on when you're crafting your letters um, in your application to make sure that you know a little bit about their background and can write an awesome letter that matches their interests. This Excel spreadsheet, by the way, is an awesome, awesome thing to send to the professors that you are asking for recommendation letters, especially if it has, you know, the due dates of the application, who it is, things like that. Um, it really helps them keep track of writing your reference letters. So helps you, helps them. Bueno. Now, in the beginning when you're doing this research, you can be a little bit less strict with who you are writing down. So let's say you are really interested in sexual psychology, you're really interested in genital pain, you might find researchers who work in health psychology, who look at, okay, outcomes for patients after cancer. Well, interesting. Maybe there's something there that you can pitch about, you know, what are their sexual satisfaction outcomes after certain types of cancer? So you can be a little bit creative, especially if you work in a very niche field that might not have that many researchers. But once you have, you know, a really big long list, you can start to narrow things down. Don't narrow things down too much. People genuinely recommend that you apply to, you know, 10, 15 schools. Some even do 20, as I've said previously in other episodes. So give yourself a good amount of supervisors, but nobody who is totally off the wall and in a completely other uh, area of expertise. You can also just do general Google searches, things like top 10 researchers in blank field. You might find Psychology Today articles about, you know, the, the, the up and comers in schizophrenia research or, you know, borderline personality disorder research. And you can look further into them and, again, repeat the process of are they accepting students, Are they, what universities are they attached to, is that university a fit, etc. Once or twice, I have even looked at the professor's rate my professor page. And sometimes what students write can give you a little bit better of an idea about what their personality is like. However, that comes with the huge caveat of the people who make the effort to go on to rate my professor and write a whole thing. Sometimes those are the people who are extremely motivated to do so. And motivation can come from either being, you know, the outlier who really, really hated it or the, you know, outlier who really, really loved it. So they tend to have quite polarized reviews. But this is, again, just a very general kind of overview. Um, if you see something you really don't like, like this person was intolerant of my identity, uh, that would be something to avoid for sure. You can also do some gentle academic stalking of their current uh, research students. So you can take a quick peek. Are their research students getting to publish while in school? Are they, you know, getting lots of external funding and awards? What is it? Do, do they seem successful to you? Um, do they seem like they are getting the assistance from the PI and the university that you would like to be getting if you were in their place? If you are 
friends with some graduate students who have perhaps met this professor or heard of this professor or um, met some of their graduate students, perhaps at conferences, you can ask your grad student friends or in your lab, what's this person like? Do you know anything about them? I really liked XYZ article and I was just wondering, have you heard good things, bad things? Use your connections. Generally, the further they are away from that professor, the more honest they will be. These same conferences, by the way, are a great opportunity to meet some of these people face-to-face. So if there is a very niche conference for your area, go if you can, if you can afford it. You can apply sometimes for a reduced fee to go. Um, There are a lot of online talks and options right now where you can listen to people speak get a feeling for them. There might be question and answer periods afterwards. Show a genuine interest in their work. Talk to them and not necessarily, you know, ask them, are you taking graduate students? Can I be a part of your lab? But just make sure that they, maybe they know your name and maybe when your application comes up, they can recognize it and you have already kind of spoken to them a little bit, and if they've been kind to you or given you the time of day, that's also a really good sign. It shows that they like being a mentor to more up-and-coming scientists in the field, and people who are excited about that are great people to have in your court. Uh, You might also take a quick peek at their social media accounts, their public accounts, Maybe not their, you know, private social media. You don't want to suddenly go, and how was that trip to Bermuda you went on? And have the person look at you like, how do you know that? What have you been looking at? But, you know, maybe they've made a ton of posts supporting a cause that you really like, or maybe they've been silent on some issues that are really important to you. Maybe they even have a YouTube channel where they have recorded some of their classes or some teaching content. You can kind of get a feel for what they're like as a teacher, perhaps. Um, Yeah, your opportunities for looking people up these days are kind of endless, so why not take advantage of that? Switching gears just a tad, I have invited a new friend, Alyssa, to the podcast to talk a little bit about her experiences applying to graduate school and finding the right professor and the right fit for her. So welcome, Alyssa. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here, Alyssa. So to start off today, I would love to hear a little bit about yourself and your program that you're heading into, where you are now, what you study, that kind of thing. Of course. I am currently finishing off my undergraduate degree at York University in the Specialized Honors Program, and I'm heading into the Clinical Psychology Program at York University in Toronto starting in September of 2021. I am currently the lab coordinator for Dr. Sky Fitzpatrick's Treating and Understanding Life-Threatening Behavior in Post-Traumatic Stress Lab. Mm. Um, That's where I spend most of my time right now. Um, as well as just finishing off a couple of courses. Awesome. What kind of drew you to that area of study? I've, I think I have a background in a variety of areas and I'm happy to get into each of those um, as well. 
just for some context, um, for my master's and PhD, I'll be doing work in therapy process, um, working with Dr. Henny Westra, who's actually my undergraduate thesis uh, supervisor as well. Um, but I'm simultaneously interested in borderline personality disorder and intimate relationships specifically. I kind of see my research program as the overarching theme being interpersonal processes. So I'm really mm. fascinated by how individuals interact in different settings, whether that be intimate relationships or in the context of therapy. So I think that's what draws me to both of those fields simultaneously. And I'm just so fascinated by how does therapy work and what mechanisms are working um, that predict client success over time. Oh, yeah. And that's so important. I think a lot of people who give up on therapy haven't really been given the treatment that matches exactly what they need, whether it's based off of their personality or kind of how they view the client um, therapist relationship, things like that. So I think it's awesome that you're studying that. That's so cool. Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's really important to be flexible to our clients. And often I find that research done in like academic settings might not be what's actually happening in the community. So trying to bridge those two things and provide evidence-based research for what's actually going to be working in, in the therapy room um, is really vital in providing the best care for our patients. Mm -hmm. Moving a little bit into applying to clinical site, can you walk me through what that was like for you? Absolutely. So I'm still in my undergrad, so I've only applied once, but mm -hmm. I empathize with everybody going through the process because it definitely wasn't easy for myself either. I knew from the get-go that I wanted to go into clinical psych and I think that's the difference as I know a lot of people don't know yet and that's okay like it's so hard to figure out what you want to do and um, it's normal to take the time to really figure out which path you want to go through. Mm -hmm. um, for me I think it was really just a natural uh, direction as I always kind of knew this was the path I wanted to go yet I didn't know what it entailed that's so, I was, so common yeah how do you know nobody tells you unless you go out of your way to find out um, and I'm a first-generation student both of my parents did not go to university none of my family went to university so being in that position was really difficult for me but I knew because of that I needed to ask as many questions as possible mm -hmm. So throughout my undergrad, I, I heard that I had to get into these research labs and I had no idea what that meant at the time. And luckily, York was very generous in sending out like blasts of some labs needing research assistants. So that's kind of how I got started into the world of research. And by being a research assistant, I learned how much I actually love to conduct research. I knew right off the bat, I wanted to get a PhD in clinical psychology, and now I'm looking to hopefully one day become a professor. So the application process, I found the hardest part was writing the GRE for myself and personal statements. Mm. Um, I think those two were the most difficult and the most challenging. And I also didn't wait, want to waver on my research interests. So finding schools that had professors that I was truly interested in their work was the most important thing for me in the application cycle. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that the GRE and personal statements were kind of the, the largest barriers that you felt that you faced. Um, why were those challenging for you? The GRE in particular was challenging for me, I think predominantly because I do come from a family that wasn't born here. Um, mm -hmm. And the vocab was just way too out of my element that it took me a good year to learn. 
Um, I wrote it twice. And since I did know I wanted to go into clinical so early, I decided to write it a year before I was applying. And I did horrible. Um, honestly, all of my percentiles were like in the 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. And um, I was extremely discouraged by that experience. And I knew that I needed to do whatever I could. Um, I felt like it was such a big hurdle for me, I guess I should say, that I spent hours on end um, learning vocab predominantly and going to see a tutor for math as well. Oh yeah, Um, did you find that that, like seeing a tutor and seeking that out made a big difference for you? It did, I mean, I didn't even do that well in the math section on my second time around, yet um, I felt more confident Mm. by having that added support of seeing a tutor one-on-one. But I realized that most people don't have access to that or don't have the resources to get that. So it's really difficult. I think that was kind of my biggest hurdle in the application process for sure. Yeah, and um, personal statements. What there was, I guess, uh, a challenge for you? I think it's always weird to talk about yourself. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> Even coming to interview season, it's always a challenge or um, something we're not used to doing. Uh, so I think that was challenging for me. I started very early. I started in uh, like May, mm. while, as you've mentioned on the show, that deadlines are typically in December. And I went through several revisions, but my biggest uh, piece of advice was just to get everybody to read your statement a hundred times. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. The more eyes, the better. The more eyes, the better. I had, yeah, I had so many grad students read it. I had my brother read it, my mom, my partner, like everybody (laughs) possible. I'm like, just read all of them over and over again. Um, And I think at the end it did, they did turn out okay. But I just, (laughs) the first initial like sit down of like, okay, what am I going to say about myself? Um, Was really difficult. And secondly, I think the most difficult part of that was, some people say that you can kind of change pieces and have the rest adapt to every single school. Mm-hmm. However, I didn't feel that way personally. I wrote, I applied to four schools and I wrote four different statements. So I think that was a challenge for me having to sit down and write separate essays. Yeah, no, I, I was literally just about to ask how many you had to write. Yeah, no, I think I think that's something a lot of people overlook is is putting out very generic statements when you know, I feel like professors can kind of tell <laughs> when it sure. hasn't been written for them. So I think that definitely gives you a great edge when you when you tailor it just a little bit. Yes, but I know most people apply to more than four schools. So like writing that many, especially if you're in research labs or you're, we're all taking on so much in, in this profession that it's really hard to spend the time and you know, perfect them all. So um, if you can take paragraphs from me, <laughs> I would. Um, but yes, I, I do agree with creating the narrative for each professor rather than just trying to mold what you already have to them. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, speaking about professors, so I'd love to hear a little bit about how you I guess, decided that this program at York with this supervisor was for you? Like, why did you choose it? And how did you know that it was going to be the right fit for you and your needs? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think it's really important uh, to think about. And a lot of people, I think, don't think about it too much in terms of 
um, a lot of us just want to get in and I get that. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was really important to find the best fit for me um, in terms of both the supervisor and the school. Um, and it's hard to gauge by just a couple of interviews here and there, but luckily for me, I was familiar with the school and the program and the supervisor. What I think sticks out to me most about York University is um, how developed their program is. I think it provides a lot of unique um, assets such as uh, we have our own clinic in the department that um, students are allowed to be as involved in as they'd like as long as they um, talk to the director and you know they might say oh I want to gain experience in X can you help me do that? And often I've heard that the program is really good at doing, at doing so. Another thing I like about York is their focus on more of an integrative approach to psychotherapy, um, which I find that most schools don't have. I remember reading an article that my supervisor sent me stating that I think like 80% of programs focus on a CBT model, which I think is really important as CBT is evidence-based um, but I like the diversity that York provides in terms of learning things like, you know, we have somebody who does EFT and mm. it was developed at York University by Les mm -hmm. Um, We have Dr. Henny Westra who does work on motivational interviewing, which is more of a client-centered modality. Um, so I, I really like the breadth and diversity of the different modalities and uh, their, their program is focused more on the process of therapy, which um, since that's going to be my research, I'm... I was just going to say, yeah, that seems to fit with your interests perfectly. You had already known your current supervisor as he was your thesis supervisor. What questions did you think were important to ask when you were deciding about this program? I like to ask a lot about um, work-life balance. I think that's a really important question to ask both the supervisor and their grad students mm -hmm. um, because we know it's such an intensive program that um, you need to be able to last through it. And often, you know, throughout my undergrad, I felt periods of burnout and I know that's not something I want to continue throughout my degree. And I want to be able to, you know, pursue a academic career. Um, mm -hmm. and I want to be able to sustain my work-life balance. So I think that was one of the biggest questions. Another was, I, it was really important for me, knowing my end goal being, I want to go into a research profess, profession, whether that be an academic role or a role at an, a hospital conducting research. Um, it was really important to me throughout my interviews to have those conversations with the professors that I would that I was interviewing with in terms of what are your thoughts on publications? What are your thoughts on conferences? What are your thoughts on authorship and how does that work? Mm -hmm. um, so those were probably the two most important conversations I had to have um, being yeah, publications and research productivity in the lab, as well as can I maintain a work-life balance, which seems like those are two opposite things, but <laughs> they're super important. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And um, did you, I guess, take the opportunity to also talk to current grad students in the lab? Yes. So I did so across the board. So across any school that I interviewed at. Um, with York, it is a little bit unique. I've been there for five years. I know, yeah. I know the program really well and I've been involved in four different labs um, just at York. So I've had the opportunity to create amazing relationships with the grad students. 
Um, so they've always kind of acted like that resource for me, whether it be two years before the application process, two months before the application process, or two weeks before interview season. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really took advantage of my grad student relationships. Um, and I asked them any question under the sun. And I had so many Zoom meetings with them um, to ask about how I can make my application better and what their experience is like in the program and what advice they have for me. Um, and I think that is probably my biggest takeaway of the application process is ask questions um, to everybody involved. Yeah, no, I think that especially when you're given the opportunity to talk to graduate students in the lab, I think that's that's really the the chance to get the tea. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like they they are the ones who are experiencing the program directly and can give you you know information on what your supervisor is like as a supervisor and their style and stuff like that. So yeah, I think that's uh, definitely a huge lesson. Uh, I learned as well. So I want to thank you again so much for joining me today. Is there anywhere where our followers can follow you on your journey? Yes, definitely. Thank you for having me again. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm pretty, I wouldn't say I'm pretty active, but I'm active on Twitter at AA DeBartolomeo. I know that is super long, but it's AA. <laughs> G-I-B-A-R-T-O-L-O-M-E-O -O -O um, on Twitter, um, where you can find me. Um, I'm happy to answer questions via email too. I can be contacted at Alyssa, so A-L-Y-S-S-A-A-D at my.yorku.ca if anybody wants to chat more about um, my experience. Oh, that is so kind of you to offer. Um, definitely take advantage of that, everyone. <laughs> But yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we'll catch up with you again later, hopefully. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Kath. It's been such a pleasure and I'm so thankful for what you're doing. I know it would have been so helpful for myself going through the process and I know um, it'll make the journey of a lot of future clinical psych students much easier. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you once again, Alyssa. Super awesome to talk to you. And I know you're going to do amazing research so all the best and good luck for next year we've reached the last section of our episode today the ending piece where i would just like to talk a little bit about gratitude so this week i had a better week than i have had in a very long time and in order to make sure I don't lose sight of how good things can be. I write my gratitude journal. I write for the things that I am thankful for, whether it's a good interview, whether it's the support of people in my lab who take the time to walk me through things and make sure I'm totally understanding the research that we're doing, whether it's a really great date night with my partner or a cuddle with my cat. I think it's really important that all of us just reflect and enjoy the moments that bring us happiness, especially when the world is as it is and when a lot of us have just gone through rejection or acceptance season or some of us are starting to look at applying to clinical psychology and we are nervous about this process so 
As best as you can this week, I would love if you could take a moment every morning for one week to just name a couple things you have gratitude for. It helped me. Hope it helps you. Um, and we will see you next week. So thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter at PodPsyched. You can send us an email at uh, clinicallypsychedpod at gmail.com. Or you can just, you know, leave us a nice comment and rating, whatever you feel. All right. Later, guys. Clinically Psyched Pod is a non-for-profit passion project by me, Cass. Music today was number one folk inspiration by Giovanni Bruni. Thanks.